All right, so we are live here at 9.31 a.m. here in American Top Team. Uh, it is a huge honor for me. Uh, it actually is, though. I'm joined with uh, Tommy G., uh, Tommy, a black belt under Paul Rodriguez. And this is kind of cool for me because we've never really sat down and talked, even like when I've been training and stuff. So I'm looking forward to this. How you doing? Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. I mean, we used to hang out after class and, do, uh, you know, go over technique and stuff, but we've never really talked. Yeah, and I was probably a one or two stripe white belt at the time. It was it was actually really terrible because it was my first promotions that I attended is when you had a knee injury. So at that point, you know, you had to do deal with that. I never saw you. So uh, I was a neophyte completely in my jujitsu journey. So... That's I was just asking you, like, what's a flower sweep? How's the flower sweep different from a pendulum sweep? That sort of stuff. Yeah, it's been a year now, over a year. It was last August, so I've been out for since last August. But uh, yeah. Well, we're good. To, we're glad to have you back, and 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 that you're in good spirits with all that. So um, I kind of want to just get to know you a little bit. So my thing is, how did you first start jujitsu? Like, how did you find out about it, and what got you into it? Yeah. So. You know, I used to watch the, I think Tough just came out, so the Ultimate Fighter, the first season just came out. Um, we used to watch the UFC back in high school and stuff and rent the tapes, and I was always interested in, uh, like, the grappling aspects of it, but uh, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, it's kind of funny, the summer before I started, I actually, uh, actually, I think it might have been even a couple of years before I started jiu-jitsu, uh, I, I played, I got on this pickup softball team. And uh, Paul was on the team, actually. And I knew Paul from from high school, kind of. Um, he, we went to the same uh, area and hung out with some of the same friends and stuff. But I, didn't, I knew of him. And um, uh, I used to go to lunch right out, right next to uh, the old American Top Team, uh, Knockout Fitness. And uh, every day I just look in the window and see the, see the people training and stuff. And I was always too afraid to go in. And then finally I went in and... I saw Paul and uh, decided just to start doing actual kick punch fitness classes. So it was just uh, bad classes like once or, or a couple times a week. And I just sit there and stare at the jujitsu classes and I was too afraid to do it. And then finally, after like a month of kick punch fitness, I just decided to uh, start to try and jujitsu and never so stopped. So why do you think you were afraid? Like, have you like conceptualized that now looking back? Um. Yeah, I just, uh, I was always very shy, very uh, uh, unconfident in myself, and I just was uh, just too nervous and too shy to uh, take a class. So, so how old are you when you when you stepped into the gym? Um, was this before or after college? It was after college, so I was like 26, maybe. Okay. Yeah, so I'm 40 now, so it's been a while. Yeah, so... So this was like 2006. Okay, about. and now were you one of those, uh, the minute you did it, you got hooked, or did it take some time for you to get into it? Uh, I was hooked immediately, yeah. I mean... So do you know anybody that doesn't get viscerally addicted to jujitsu within the first few weeks? Because I feel like that story is universal among practitioners. So yeah, I mean, people that stay are definitely like that. Um, even the people that leave are usually like that, but there's something that causes them to not come back for some whatever reason it is but they're still hooked like even i have friends that have tried to come in and they did it for a month or so and 
for whatever reasons they stop, but they still talk to me about it. And that's all they want to talk about is jujitsu. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. Because there's significant others. Like, I don't want to talk about this. What is this? Um, so when you got started um, into jujitsu, like what? Um, so first of all, because I was asking Jamie and Chris this, how many people were in your white belt class that have continued training that you know of? Oh, and I'm not trying to get names no, here. I'm no, actually yeah, yeah. I'm curious about percentages. Like how many people were in your white belt class and how many of them stuck around? I mean, I, I think I'm kind of lucky where I have a few that I still like know and talk to and still come around. And some of them are still like gym owners here. And, you know, like Jim Andrews, we started almost the same exact time and stuff like that. Um, uh, Chris Vu, I started and he came over. I mean, he wasn't in my white belt class, but... He was pretty close and stuff like that, but um, there's not many. I could probably 15 maybe that I know that still train uh, over the last 15 years, you know. And that's out of, can you like ballpark all the others that have like fallen on the wayside? Uh, no. Over under 100. Uh, oh, over 100. Over 100, yeah. 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 So do I mean, you white believe- belts that have come in since I was a white belt, um, probably probably 100 white belts that came in while I was a white belt that probably don't train anymore. Now, do you buy into the fact that the highest attrition rate is at blue belt, that people, like, stop after after getting their blue? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think so. Most people make it, if, if they stick through white belt, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll stick through, get their blue belt, they'll usually drop off a little bit, um, and then usually they don't make it to purple belt. So, so what you would say is if, if you see someone get to purple, you're kind of like, okay, they're they're on their way at this point yeah i think so for the most you know for the most part um unless something in life kind of stops them or yeah i think at that point you're kind of you already know what's going on you're yeah you know it's just kind of a matter of time at that point um you kind of just understand the phases of jiu-jitsu at that point so they usually stick around and they're usually uh uh in it for the, the long run the long run so you're a white belt you're training at knockout fitness right knockout fitness knockout yep. fitness and that 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 was the school if i recall that was near ucf yeah yeah okay. at the time it was right by the uc7 plaza and ucf it was uh there was a sub shop right next door and a domino's right next door <laughs> <laughs> so good post-training calories yeah um so what were classes like back then with paul like, I'm kind of curious. I don't know. I never took a class with Paul for a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, how, so who taught classes? Was it Seth or was it? Who so, was? back then, Paul was a brown belt. Uh, Seth was around. He was, I don't know, I don't even, he might have been a purple belt at the time. I don't even know. Um, but uh, the main teachers, my main uh, instructors at the very beginning um, were two brown belts. Uh, actually, one of them. One of them might have been a purple belt at the time, but uh, it was like five people in my first class. I went, uh, I got paired up with a brown belt that was kind of visiting, kind of helping teach. And the first thing we started doing were like sotogaris and stuff like that. And I didn't even know how to stand correctly. It was, but uh, we just, you know, a lot of guard work, but uh, very similar to what we do now. I mean, you know, the warm up, the kind of drilling and then going into the technique and stuff it just uh wasn't 
quite it wasn't quite as advanced and stuff like back then okay and it's very basic and roughly like how long were you at the different belt ranks if you think back um so i got my blue belt pretty quick i picked it up pretty quick um i think it was like 10 months i think i got my blue belt and then it's it's kind of hard because i uh all throughout there, I I got injured almost almost every belt. Um, like my first competition as a white belt, it was like probably six months in. Uh, I tore my ACL and tore my oh, meniscus. Fuck. <laughs> I trained for a year after, and I finally had to get it uh, get it fixed. But uh, yeah, so I I had an ACL. I've I missed like periods of like eight to ten months, probably four times in my career and like my career so far. And then this one's this has been the longest, so. But um, it was the standard pretty much, you know, two years as a blue belt, uh, probably two years as a purple belt. But I was coming when I when I got the purple belt and I came back to uh, Orlando, I was coming, you know, eight or nine classes a week. I was coming in the in the mornings, coming in the afternoons. I was, you know, helping Paul teach and yeah. stuff like that. So it's a little different. You know, coming two to three times a week, it's usually about the standard, you know. I was about the standard time. Okay. And then how long were you at Brown? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think it was about a year. Okay. Maybe maybe a little longer. And at that time, I was, you know, was 10, times a week, uh, 10 times a week I was training or teaching or, okay. you know. So that's a little bit So the intensity kept ramping up. Yeah. Okay. Um. Actually, I don't even remember how long it was. Yeah. So, um, do you think belts matter? I never put any emphasis on the belt. So, I, for me, uh, I didn't care. Uh, I never wanted to be promoted. I never thought I was ready to be promoted. You know, so, uh, you know, I, belts never mattered to me in one bit. I was going to train no matter what, no matter what belt I was. I was still going to come in and and do the same training and still try to learn as much as I could. So no, no. <laughs> for me, it doesn't Did matter. you, um, were there guys that you went with training partners that you kind of used as measuring sticks for your development? We talk about Ryan Wilkerson a lot cause he's our, he's our, he'll go hard. He's going to not really give much up to anybody, whether you're a, a white belt or a fellow brown belt. So he's kind of a good measuring stick, you know, for progress. Yeah. I use Ryan for me when, uh, when I was a brown and black belt, so <laughs> if I can not get smashed by Ryan, then uh, you know I'm doing okay. My, if 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 he's uh you know neon bellying me for three minutes, then I know I need to step up my training and figure out what I'm doing wrong because uh, yeah, I love Ryan. We we always go hard, and I love, I love training with him. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> awesome. So. Um, the thing about, so it's weird, like I said, I, I was kind of looking forward to this conversation because, um, like you said, you most guys end up training here, and if you stick around, you're going to have conversations with, with people, and you're going to start to figure out where they're coming from. Um, you actually commented on something that I felt like would have been a good conversation piece if we're just hanging around the gym, but you commented on uh, one of the previous podcasts about uh, how to roll etiquette when it comes to rolling how to roll with, I think, I don't think you were talking as much about how to roll with females as you were talking about um, how to roll with someone of lesser skill 
or someone that's smaller and kind of what yeah. goes into that. And and I was just kind of wondering, you've been, you, whether, you, whether you like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, you're kind of viewed when you're not around as, you know, Paul's technical black belt. You know, he's oh, the God. guy that, that, that's very technical. He's the guy that, that is very knowledgeable. He's the guy that, that Paul will always praise when you're not around about, um, you know, showing him stuff. You know, you're the guy that that's shown Paul stuff. That that uh, yeah, he says that. I don't know how much. <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean, he says it though, and that you know, from from a guy like Paul, everyone's yeah. gonna listen. You know, listen to it and yeah. and and kind of hang on. So, um, yeah, I think the comment was about like, uh, you know, how to ta- or how to treat somebody that's lower skilled than, than you uh, respectfully. Like you were, you guys were talking about, uh, you know, just rolling somebody. You get somebody mounted and. And you just roll over and pull them on top of you. Like, yeah, like that was my big pet. That peeve. was your pet peeve. Yeah, that right? was my so pet that, peeve. That was kind of my comment. It was something similar to that. Like, there's ways to do it and ways to roll and ways to do things where you're not disrespecting disrespecting your your partner. And yeah, and you had mentioned like you know you can use a less strong like if you're using a certain form of mount that's maybe let, let's say you're really good at grapevining i'm not I'm, I'm elaborating here right but i've gone with people that are really good at grapevining the legs i suck at it but that can be shitty if someone's good at doing it um well if you're doing that and the person's obviously has no clue well then go to just a more standard mount and give them a chance to work their escapes on something that's a little less dominant right you know and or you know put your foot in the a position where they can grab it you don't have to hide your feet you know, if if you're they're trying to do an upper escape, you know, you, you don't have to uh, hide. You know, you don't have to put all your weight down on you know the the spots where they're trying to escape. You know, you can you can uh, make it so they can use technique and still escape without you know making it ridiculously easy for them. Yeah. Um, so, what are some funny stories? You know, like you, I I always like. Like I asked guys like Chris, all the guys back in the day, like, what are some funny Paul stories? What are some funny like training stories with with Jim or with Chris or with any of these guys? Because I feel like there's this there's this era that that younger guys like myself and Victor hear about that the colored belts talk about. Like, well, I remember when the knockout fitness days or the these days. So, do you have any uh, any stories that you can share <laughs> that are kind of on the record? So. <laughs> Back uh, early on, like I was still very shy and very uh, uh, unsocial. So I was like, I went to class and I hung around and I talked to people, but I didn't really get involved too much, like after class and stuff like that. So I, I would mostly watched. I can't think of anything like specific. Um, I mean, you guys, I think you guys talked about like the old training and stuff where they just try to kill each other and. Uh, I don't really have anything too, uh, too, know, too good, so, I guess. Well, maybe we'll jog your memory at some point, but yeah. it's, um, when it comes to that training, like what, um, cause you've trained, I know you've gone to at least the origin camps when it comes to, or have you been to other jujitsu camps? So yeah, I haven't been to camps, but, um, I, I'm pre- I used to go to seminars all the time. Anybody that I knew that was coming around, um, I would do the seminars and stuff. Um, there wasn't really camps back when I started training. I mean, the Origin one, somebody told me about, um, I think it was the second year that they were doing it. Um, we were supposed to be going together, and he got 
uh, he had to go, uh, I think he got deployed or he had to go to, uh, some Navy training or something like that. So he couldn't go. But, um, that was the first time I went to a camp. Uh, that was like five or six years ago now, maybe even longer, but, uh, I, I used to go to seminars all the time. Um, and did you like, what, what, what's your opinion of going to seminars? I, I, I went to a Globetrotters camp in Iceland and I had a phenomenal time, but I also found that by Wednesday, I was already like hit my cognitive load. So did you feel like when you went to these seminars, granted there, it's like probably a one day thing, uh, were you able to bring stuff back and add it to your game? Yeah. So I tried to, um, at least pick up like one or a couple concepts, uh, from the, the training and, uh, from the seminars. But, um, I tried to write down stuff as much as I could. I tried to film because it was only a couple hours. It wasn't as bad as going to a camp or anything like that. And usually the the seminars, they would teach you like a series or something like that. So it was a little bit easier going through the seminars. But um, even that, even just learning, you know, five techniques, coming back and trying to do them, it was, it was always tough. You know, it's when you're doing it with somebody watching you and trying to do it right after you learned it, it's, it makes it easy. But if you don't, it depends. I mean, the way I learn, I have to see it and I have to see myself do it. Um, so I used to film myself a lot. So that, that helped. And I used to film as much as I could at the seminars if they let you. Um, and I, I like to rewatch stuff and redo it and see myself do it. Um, but most of the time it's, it's, it's overload. Um, yeah. It's, uh, at some point it ended up being more of a, a photo opportunity <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and you learn a technique or two and then you get to kind of get the photo opportunity. Look at me and Puchetcho over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. um, and then like repeat seminars when people come back to town, it's kind of the same thing and you kind of just hang out. It's, and you kinda, it's more of the people that you meet and the, that you hang out with at these seminars. I used to, I, I met people from Tampa and from all around the state, just see going to these seminars and seeing them. So it's kind of more that and that for me, and and meeting the you know the legends of the sport and and stuff like that. So it's funny because you mentioned the videotaping. That's almost something. It's actually come up, cropped up in my head a few times because recently I've been rolling, and I get into certain positions and I can't even really describe the position. But I'm like, I want to show Paul this, but I can't even describe it exactly because I'm probably missing the like. He'll probably see. Oh, this is what you're doing. And the fact that I can't even explain it properly is probably evident of why I'm, I'm having issues. So I'm almost kind of like, I want to be that guy now that sets up a tripod. You know, everyone's going to look at me funny like, who the fuck is this guy? I was <laughs> and, that guy for a while. <laughs> so so um, you said you had a notebook. I have a notebook. Uh, my main trading partner, Victor, also has a notebook. Um, what advice would you give Tommy as a white belt? to help him in his jiu-jitsu journey moving forward or did you do everything perfectly i was pretty perfect you were pretty no, perfect no. <laughs> um yeah so definitely be more specific and be more detailed than you ever thought you could be um i go back and read my white belt notes and my uh so i used to have a i used to put it in my calendar so I, every class i would write down like every technique we did every drill we did everything like that and I go back and read it now, and I'm like, I don't even know what I don't even know what technique this is. Like trying to read it back now as a black belt. So um, assume that you don't know what you're doing because you probably don't, 
and just be as detailed in whatever as possible. So, so, so Chris has joined us and he, and he's putting beer in our faces at uh, not even 10 a.m. <laughs> and you have to teach class, so I do have to teach. I've got plenty of time. He's gonna drink the nine percenter, and I'm gonna do the uh, the lightest. One. Oh my! God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Here we go. I, I got a four pack over there for you too. Did you really? Oh yeah. my god, Tommy! I got a pregame for the beer fest, so. Good to see you. Me too. Awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry I walked in so late. Um, how long have you guys been at it? Uh, we start at 9.30, okay. so we've been going for a little over 20 minutes. Cheers. 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 There we go. There we All go. All right. So, so, yeah, Tommy was kind of giving us a lowdown on um, what he what advice he'd give to his younger self or just to any, any white belt that wants to uh, improve, being that he is the technical wizard that he is. Indeed. No, not at all. It sounded actually quite a bit like what you do on your own, Noah. Right. Uh, well, I mean, he, he mentioned having a notebook. I have a notebook, and I try to just write down what we did during the day. But a lot of times if we're doing a sequence, like, for example, we're doing 50-50 escapes or passes, depending on how we're finishing them. Um, we've been doing it for a month now. So a lot of times I'm writing same, same, and yeah. then the occasional detail, you know, add this. So that's very similar to what I did. So I'll have, I, yeah, I'll, I had that all through my calendar. I actually still have it. It's all, it was in like a Excel spreadsheet now, but it was, it was a, it was a Google calendar. Did you ever go back and do you have, did you ever go back and reference it that much? Cause I find I don't go back that much. It's the act of writing it. That's important. Not the, what was it that we went back? on? Yeah, definitely. The most important I think is, uh, just detailing it and writing it down and keeping track. And, um, I try to go, like I, like I said, I tried to go back. I used to like, when we did like a, a blue belt review or something like that, I would go back and read it and try to pick up details. But like I said, if if you're if I wasn't super detailed, it was it's kind of a waste at the uh, going back to it. But um, at the time, it definitely helped writing it down and stuff. And it really depends on how like you guys were talking about in previous podcasts how you learn. People learn different ways, and I was always uh, repeat as much as I can and write stuff down as much as I can and see as much as I can. So when did you start teaching here or helping Paul out? Um, like at what level? I'm not talking about yeah, year. Yeah. I'm talking about what level? It must have been uh, middle purple belt probably when I came back. So I, I got hurt um, right before uh, I think people got their purple belt that were like a little behind me because um, I was hurt at the time. And then I moved to South Carolina for 10 months. Um, and then I came back, and that's when I, I started training more, got my purple belts. And then, like, halfway through there was when I started helping teach, like, being this partner, training a uh, dummy and stuff, and then started teaching. What, so what, what happened with that move, that excursion? Is that, was that personal reasons, or what, what, what happened there? Yeah. South Carolina? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so my job, uh, the company I worked for, they were um, based up in um, in Maryland, and then the division that I worked for, um, they were based out in Goose Creek, South Carolina, and they decided to move our division up to Goose Creek to finish the project, and um, 
I basically either had to go up there or find a new job. So we all kind of took this uh, 10 month contract and all moved up there. And I still have my house and stuff. Um, Selectively, my team pretty much. Yeah, it was like, there's probably eight of us, I think, that they ended up moving up. And And you right now currently work as a software engineer, is that correct? Yes. Okay. So I'm a software engineer too. That's what we have in common too. I know. And we, uh, you know, since you've been training here, I had no idea. Yeah. Until you talked about it on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, they're actually... um, a couple software engineers that I know of. There's one that that, that used to work at uh, one, of, one of the old companies I worked at that no longer, I don't think, trains here anymore. But he was working up in Maitland, too. So, um, yeah, they're, they're nerd assassins everywhere, yeah. man. Actually, so. my last uh, last project, um, one of the guys that trains here, I don't know if he's still around because I think he moved, but Victor, he was, uh, like, sitting right next to me. I had no idea. Uh and he he came in as a blue belt, I think. Oh, Victor Pagan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He just got his purple belt okay. in yep. June. Right? Yeah, he got his, he got his purple belt in promotions. I have not seen him since. I've not seen him. Since I don't either. know if he's I moved out just, of town or. I think he's out of town. Is he he, okay. he told me he moved. Um, he was still come. Actually, I talked to him at that promotion, I think, and uh, he was telling me that he moved. And I don't know how often he's coming or not, but he's yeah. Gone. Yeah, no, I haven't seen. Yeah, him. I haven't seen him since. So. Um. How much, so both of you guys are, <laughs> I've just now discovered uber nerds, um, I'm one to talk, but how much do you feel as though um, the ways of learning, I guess epistemi, epistemology, um, transcend both software engineering and jujitsu, and how much does it, is there sort of like a cross-pollination between the two that allows you to learn better or to break down things better? Is there any? Um... I'm not saying I don't know better, but uh, it definitely lends itself to be similar enough that it uh, help, that's it's might maybe be easier. I don't know. Just your your style of just your, the way you usually think and the way you uh, the way you learn. It's just similar enough that it's doesn't take extra work to do. I guess. Really, I think I think software engineers inherently are problem solvers, mm-hmm. and they like to pro- they like to solve problems. And jujitsu is a problem solving discipline. Like every every time you're on the mat, you're confronted with a position. Like we like we take with you know two people of, of different dimensions in these interlocking positions, and that's like a fancy human Rubik's cube. So for many software engineers, that's it's very addictive. So I I think that's lends itself that that in a way maybe we were kind of slightly addicted to problem solving. So now you get confronted with jujitsu, which is problem solving with this athletic component. So if you have any sort of athletic inclination, it even doubles it. It's where life and death is. Yeah, it's the struggle. It's, it's the struggle. You know, you're gonna cast your die and. I never played Dungeon and Dragon, but it's like, am I gonna, am I gonna roll above a certain number and, and succeed? Am I gonna be able to invert and take the guys back, or am I gonna fail miserably and be smashed? Dungeon and Dragons is like pure random chance, though, right? Like this is like the more skill risk. you have, the more dice you get to roll to hit the number. Is that is that how it works? At a very basic level, because I don't I don't know the intricacies. I, I of Dungeons sure, and it sounds like you don't know the intricacies. Yeah, I'm like you're you're answering that awfully <laughs> i've never i've never actually played i've played dungeon and dragon video games so those okay. those encapsulate and some of the old school games like back in the day actually did you like actually did say dice in there like 
you know, this warrior will roll three dice when he attacks. Are you talking about like the the MS DOS game where it's like you approach a door, hit one, and it does some sort of random? Not that far back. I'm thinking like Neverwinter Nights, like the original. No, because I remember floppy disks. Do you remember playing that? I remember floppy disks and stuff. (laughs) I remember BBSs, man. I was on a BBS. Were you really? Yeah, that was that was crazy. So for those who are under the age of, I guess thirty (laughs) five. Yeah, probably. Everyone's like, "Who the fuck are they?" (laughs) BBS. What is this? It's like the original chat room, right? Like. Well, yeah, you would you would get on your dial-up modem. Like I can't believe I'm. Exp- God, I feel old now. Awesome. It's like you would, you would, you would use your dial-up modem and connect. Yeah, that, and connect to. It would be a command prompt that would start spitting things out. Usually, like like at welcome to such and such BBS, and you'd get, yeah, and you, yeah, and you'd get you'd have you, you'd have like a, a a text menu where like hit one for this, hit two for this, you know. And I remember being, quote, cool because I knew a few emojis. And that's when emojis <laughs> were really complex. You, not, excuse me, not emojis, uh, emojicons. Like, where you, could, you didn't have actual emoji icons. You had to construct the faces with colons, semicolons, and parentheses. So I knew how to do Elvis with, like, a, a question mark for his hair and stuff. So, like, they were like, oh, that's so cool and stuff. And this, is, this was life back then, just typing to strangers. By the way, I was probably 12 or 13 <laughs> And I'm typing to a stranger in an internet chat room, and that was normal back well, then. Well, people get into strangers' cars nowadays, so, I mean, like, how different is it really? We roll with strangers in pajamas every day. Exactly. How well, is I mean, that not strange? We're, we're one tribe. Tommy, so what other... I know you have a multitude of other, like, hobbies. I have some, yeah. Yeah, like, like a lot of cool ones, too, like scuba diving and whatnot. What, um, so what, what always brings you back to jiu-jitsu, though? Because I know you're coming back soon. Yes, very soon. Um, just, just the lifestyle of the people. Um, I just love jujitsu. I love uh, the moves, and I just love uh, learning technique and teaching. I love teaching the techniques. But uh, really, the people. I mean, I miss you guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, we miss you too a lot. Hanging out here. I mean, I was here usually five to seven days a week, and Jesus. you know multiple times a day so it's been it's been different we need and i need another partner to get smashed by Kali with oh, yeah. at 6 a.m it's getting a little tiresome to be honest i just have to take that bullet every once in a while because, uh, <laughs> it's uh, please do <laughs> brian it's mckenzie gonna, keeps him off me but i can only do it for so long it's gonna be a while before i uh take that <laughs> full strength but so what are you uh you're talking about how how vast of notebooks do you have dating back now at this point so yeah, it I stopped taking notes for, um for a while. So I I I uh I probably have from my white belt to like middle blue belts really? pretty much almost every class. But then uh I pretty much stopped, but I uh I started videotaping my, taping myself and the techniques and stuff. Did so you? yeah, so I actually have a lot of them up on YouTube uh in a private group for if you guys want to see some of them. But uh you mean you might be able to upload them on the upcoming BJJ and Brews YouTube page. No, maybe. <laughs> As Chris looks over at me, <laughs> like, right? <laughs> or, or perhaps in the private BJJ and Brews Facebook page slash group. Um, that's awesome. So, like, how much of your your notebooks and your videos do you go back and actually reference? Like, when you've encountered a certain problem in grappling. 
do you, because I find the nerd of myself, like, for example, like, two weeks ago, Paul decided, I'm just going to smash Chris for five minutes and mount and see what the hell he does, right? So I was like, God damn it, like, this sucks. Yeah. Um, I, I immediately went and just started researching the hell out of mount escapes, right? Because evidently, whatever I was doing for the past 15 years at this point wasn't working. You know, it works against other people, doesn't work against Paul. So I need to figure out what I need to do. Do you find yourself, when you're just like, God damn, there's a problem I just can't encounter, immediately going home and researching it and just like working on it, working on it, working on it, how much do you use like an external source? Because I know your, your subscription to like other video resources or your own notes and whatnot do you do you do yeah so i i try to do that it's kind of hard uh especially as as i'm teaching and stuff it uh when i was teaching classes um i was almost learning the stuff the way paul was you know over the last 15 years paul taught you know one technique and pretty much every year every time he taught it something changed you know like he learned he he figured something different out um even the basic mount escapes and stuff, yeah. you know, when we first learned them, he just, you know, said, do this. And then the next time you actually learned a detail. And then once he got the black belt, then you start learning like, you know, the, the physics around it and stuff like that. And I do try to do that. And I try to do like reference different sources and pick up details from different places and try to put it and make it my own. And, uh, if something's not working for me, try to figure out, um, by going back and looking at the references or, looking at different sources and stuff. So I don't, you know, it, it's hard to go back and look at my old stuff because it probably is not as good as my new stuff right. and what we just learned. But uh, I'll, I'll look at it and reference it and see if I can pick up details and stuff. But I do uh, like to go and look at the different sources and see, you know, different mount escape. Like for your case, I would go look at people teaching different mount escapes and then try to figure out what would fit and what... Um, what details Paul was, or you know Paul was teaching, and try to fit those into like different ways to do it that Paul might not think of, or uh, that would be more effective the way Paul would be keeping me in mount or something like that. So what what I what I find hilarious with Paul is when I'd say maybe every month or every few months he'll uh, he'll diverge from the curriculum slightly and just teach a class, and I'll be sitting there, I'll be like, God damn, dude. You've been doing that to me the last three months. He's like, yeah. He's like, every once in a while, I need to like trickle out what like some of the stuff I'm doing, like the the tips from the top. Like, how, what was I really doing to mess you up? Because he'll teach lasso guard, and I'll go into lasso guard, and then he'll grab a grip that he never mentioned and shut everything down. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me that grip, man? Like, this is not fair. Like, I not think- not it's not fair, but it's like that. That's the the levels to it. So how much like that's interesting that you mentioned that that um. So how much of that is, do you suppose he's working on his own thing, right? And then once he's sort of funneled you to that without really telling him, because that's the best way to learn, right? Or, you know, a, a way to learn is to sort of like develop that creativity, is to see how people who unknowingly are reacting a certain way. Um, how much do you think is that, or is that he's just having fun at the moment? Like, and- I think both, because I know he's told me that that if he's trying something new, he'll he'll first try to hit it on a white belt, then he'll try to hit it on a blue belt, then a purple belt, then a brown belt, and if he can hit it on a black belt like Tommy or Carapellucci, then he knows. But he's not going to try and do that right away because, like like we talked about before, I like the term false negatives. It's yeah. like you'll get 
penalized and think, oh, I'm, I'm doing it wrong. You're not doing it wrong. You're doing it for the first time against someone of equal or higher skill. Do it against someone of lesser skill and see if, if there's, there's promise to that move. And then as you start perfecting it, start trying to go against people of, of better and better uh, skill level to see if it holds up. Ooh, yeah, it's, yeah, so it's it's that, but it's also he might not have thought of that at the time. And as he's teaching you these techniques and you're doing things correct in the way he taught you, he needs to figure out ways to beat that. So right. he, it's not necessarily that he didn't want to teach it to you. It's just that he's picking it up as he's going and he might be learning it and trying new things and stuff like that. He's so. getting you – he's seeing – what is the term that he uses all the time? I'm like – give him a look or something like that. Like, it, right? like he's seeing what looks you're giving him so that he can react properly. Yeah. So how much of, um, let me ask you, what is, what do you feel Tommy has been your, you've been doing it for 15 years now? I just heard you say. I think something, I don't know, something like that. Something like, either way, like decade and a half, like, so roughly the same time um, that I've been doing it. I think it. it's like 13 years, 14 years, something is like it? that. Because you started in Goldenrod, right? No, I started at Knockout on uh, University. Oh, you're a Knockout guy, too? U- University in 50, yeah. Oh, yeah I mean, you missed uh, the Oregon oh store. Gosh. We were talking about that before you came. Wow. Oh, that's right. You, so you I started, started Muay Thai, right? So just kick punch fitness. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. So you're like the, you're the quintessential, like, perfect, like, marketing student, right? Like, the idea behind just the business end of it is to, sorry, I, empty stomach, haven't eaten since 7 o'clock yesterday. <laughs> First meal of the day, a Kona lager. Um, so you're the, the, you're the perfect business student, right? From, from a martial arts student standpoint, you come in for kick punch fitness to get in shape. You're yes. like, Hmm, this is kind of fun, right? No, I no? hated it. You didn't think it was fun? <laughs> no, it was okay. It was good. Okay. It was good. Right. Yeah. But who was teaching it? Was it Paul? So he's probably working the hell Seth, out Seth, it was usually Seth and there was, oh, what's the name? There was another, uh, Muay Thai guy. That was teaching it. Um, the lion. Oh, oh, James the Mad Lion. Yes, he was. Oh my god, it was god. mostly him, and then Seth would fill in. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. So James was just like one twos for an hour and a half straight, right? And you're Basically. like, fuck this. What are they doing over there? Basically, I just stare. I would just. It was at the same time as jujitsu. I just like be staring at jujitsu in between rounds and. And then, and then no, Bobby wasn't there yet, right? Because I was, I was still training under Bobby at the time, right? Yeah, because he yes. didn't come until after the fact. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, Mad Lion was making you do one-twos for an hour and a half. And you're like, I'd rather go lay between another man's legs. Yeah. As Bobby would say. Um, that's awesome. So, what, so, you went straight from kick-punch fitness to jujitsu? Yes. Wow. Not even any sparring or nothing. No. That's crazy. Okay. I think, yeah. So I was always more interested in jujitsu, or you were. like the grappling and the wrestling and um, stuff like that. Like back in high school, my friends we used to, you know, rent the UFC videos and at sixteen thousand like, movies. What's that? At sixteen thousand movies. No. No. Okay. Never mind. I think it was I'm just really blockbuster. Myself. I think it was just blockbuster okay, back down in uh, Port St. Lucie. So. That's right. Yeah. Um, and we used to leg lock each other and like <laughs> grab a guillotine and be like, Oh, just tap right away. Cause it was the <laughs> ultimate move at the time, you know? Uh, but, uh, I, I was just too, like I told, I told, uh, earlier that it was, uh, I was just too shy and too, um, I didn't have enough confidence or anything like really? that. And it's, it's, 
I just didn't want to. I was too afraid to go to class. Really, it was really? the why I didn't do to jiu-jitsu. go to like a group class of jiu-jitsu or just yeah, like, just even... a, a group class. Like I don't really don't know why I, st- I came in and stayed uh, for kick punch fitness. To be honest, really, yeah. So what was the what was the the singularity? At what point you were like, I'm gonna get in there, or have you ever gone over this? We kind of went over yeah. a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I came in. I knew I knew Paul. We played softball a couple of years before. Um, no, but your transition from kick punch to oh, jujitsu, like what were you like? Yeah. Throwing it, the gloves down. I'm done with this. It was like about a month in and I just decided I'm going to go do it. Really? Yeah. So pretty much. The, was it that the kick punch fitness bored the hell out of you or were you like my, my curiosity about jujitsu outweighed the boredom of kicking and punching? I think it was that. And I probably got made fun of for doing kick punch fitness <laughs> and, uh, were not doing jujitsu. No, there was a couple, okay. but not many. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. You still have those gloves, too, I think. Didn't you? I think I just, I gave them to the gym, I think. Were they the orange ones? It was, they were blue and red. Uh... Venom, I think. No. no Venom, Venom did not exist. Uh, they, were, they were like combat, three brands, right? I think it was Combat. Combat Sports? Yeah, like Combat original, Sports Blue. Oh, my God. I think it was like, yeah, it was probably the, the, the tough <laughs> gloves <laughs> at the time or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. But. So were you, I, what, what was your, um, so we all sort of have like a, an evolution of like our own jujitsu, like where have you seen your game evolve? Like where were you a lot, like what do you sort of classify yourself as? Cause like right now I can tell you probably most people classify me as like the butt scooter and they classify Noah as the dreamy guy who beats up old women. <laughs> the boob puncher. The boob yeah. puncher, excuse me. <laughs> what, what, where, where, where is your... Your evolution gone. I wish I had an evolution. I don't know. I feel like I still don't have a game or an evolution. Uh, it's usually try stuff that doesn't work, and then no. Um, <laughs> but that's the best way to learn, though, right? Like because you can see what works for you. Yeah, I mean, I try. I'm more of a guard player. I would say, you know, I like the open guards. Uh, but then it's funny because I, I never did a closed guard. But then about a year ago, I started doing like close guard exclusively and went back to it and that's been my most successful stuff you know so i just try to evolve and just try to learn as much as i can and try as much as i can um which is good but it also leads to not having like a strong game against top you know top level people because you're always trying stuff and you never perfect something and stuff like that so I get bored really quickly. I don't like doing the same move. If it works, I move on, which is usually not a good way to, you know, <laughs> compete or do jujitsu. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my thing. I just try to learn and do as much as I can. Who do you who do you like watching in jujitsu? Oh, um, I really like the Mendez brothers. Um, I like their style and the way they teach. And uh, let's see. I go back to the my uh my origin guys, the De La Hiva guys up in Maine and they're the way they teach and the stuff that Paul, you know, he's definitely the biggest influence. So what has your experience been? Because um, I have my thoughts on like quote like kind of the idea of like seminars and stuff. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on um external learning like that? Like going to camps, like very, very immersive camps. So you you've been to one. Right. Yeah, and point. we were talking about this slightly. Um, just I was asking him, like I told him how I kind of reached a point on my week camp, like I was there for a week, that by Wednesday I felt like I had a cognitive overload. Yeah. 
Um, and also that he's a guy that's, that brings a lot of techniques back from these seminars and kind of filters out some stuff, but will share some of that stuff with, with a guy like Paul and Paul say. Um, Tommy, you know, might debate whether how much he actually does incorporate it, but Paul at least says, you know, hey, you know, Tommy brings in, brings in a lot of techniques and shares it with me. And I mean, most recently he was talking about a Delahiva pass, not Delahiva, a lasso pass. That quote, you know, Tommy's really good at doing this, you know, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, you've definitely made your mark in that respect on on the gym. How many seminars have you been to? I don't know, maybe twenty. Um, not count, not counting the origin. How many good pictures did you get? Though? I got a, I got a <laughs> lot of good pictures. <laughs> so, who was like the biggest name person whose seminar you attended? Um, you go through the who's who. Carl Laborio. <laughs> um, I see we did <laughs> so you know starting off I did a, I, I, I used to go to seminar back, back then seminars was basically the only way you you could really learn outside of your you know your school you know gyms were closed you couldn't it, most of the gyms you couldn't just drop in and just you know take classes back and then, the internet you know, so, was not had not developed I mean it was but it wasn't like it's not that old. I mean, no, 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 like, no, 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 like no, The jujitsu I mean, on the internet had not okay, developed. Okay, you know I mean, yeah, I am that old, but um, yeah. When I started jujitsu, the only like the first thing I found really was the grappler's guide, uh, Jason Scully. Yeah, yeah. He was a brown belt, or he might even have been a purple belt at the time. I don't know, but uh, he was the first one that really started invisible jujitsu, baby. Yeah, yeah. He started it, um, so I. That's really where I started learning stuff on the internet. But I never really went to the internet for technique or anything like that. Okay. Um, I, I, yeah, I tried to stay away from that as much as I could. Actually, did you really? The first thing I ever watched on the internet before I even did jujitsu was BJ Penn 101s. He did a series of 101 jujitsu uh, videos. And I used every single technique he showed in that 101 in my first jiu-jitsu class. Can you remember what they were? Oh, yeah. Really? It was a whole, it was a whole series going from starting in close guard to getting like a scissor sweep to going to mount to like doing a cross-collar choke to escaping the cross-collar choke. And like I think I uh, – yeah, I think I did all. I used I, I escaped mount on like a brown belt at the time. My first class. I don't know if you remember uh, Kankles. Yeah. He's like, you've done this before, <laughs> and I'm like, this is the first time I've ever been on a mat. And I ended up using that technique. But um, those were the first videos I ever watched. But uh, shout out to John Morrison, by the way. Yeah, John. Is it Morrison or Mor- Morris? Morrison. Morrison. Yeah, yeah, Morrison. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean the camps. You know, I started going to the camps. Uh, they let me, they let us video. So I videotaped every single technique and I, um, went back and reviewed stuff and, you know, that was helpful. But at the same time, I probably learned a hundred techniques that week for the, the four days or whatever. And I may have known, like, remember three of them, you know, or I might've used three of them. Right. So the way I like to to teach or to to use the the camps and stuff is really just about the the people and the relationships I've made. Yeah, you've um, made a ton, you've done a ton of networking, right? Yeah, like, I mean, there's a group of guys called the um, we, ca- we call ourselves the Horsemen, and uh, it's a group of guys I met up at an origin camp, and we now have traveled like all over the country to support each other up back up to Boston, out to Lakeland. There's a 
our friend uh, Roger, he just opened another school out there. Warrior He's Combat. The warrior, yeah. 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 Actually, one opened. of my coworkers, his daughters, goes to the second warrior. So he's he's a guy that I've been going to camp with for the last four years, and we all traveled out there to support him. And there's other guys, but um, at, at some point the camps are great, but you're I mean you're only going to learn so much, and it's really just the I mean outside of Paul, those guys the instructors at the origin camps are my that's the guys I go to first after Paul to uh, ask questions or learn techniques from and. Um, but what you just Seminar. described is like to me the the holy grail. It's like you meet all these people and now suddenly you have all these pins on your map where you can drop into gyms and train and then socialize, drink beers, all like that to me is the, the, the there's a reason why I you know this podcast is called BJJ and Brews and I think for me personally like that just sounds like that that sounds like if if I had any goals like yeah, I'll get my black belt and then just travel around and drop into gyms for the next five years. Why do you have to get your black belt first? Do it now, man. I, I mean, I started I started doing that as a blue belt. Did you really? Well, I mean, I was traveling. Hours. So my for my job, I was traveling a lot, um, and I was training. So I I was out in California for like two weeks at a time, and I would just drop in and uh, go to gyms and stuff. Every time, any place I traveled, I try to drop in. You know, pay a mat fee, buy a shirt, and just hang out for a week or so and do that type of stuff and then same thing as seminars i've been trying to go to seminars since then i mean at, at some point it, it it got to be more of a meet this person get a photo and learn some like you know i would learn technique but at the at that point it wasn't really i wasn't going to you know add this like these magical techniques to my game or anything it was more just learning and meeting people in all of the um the drop-ins you've done um, describe some of your like awesome experiences as a drop-in student and like terrible experiences. These are always fun. For the most, yeah. without naming names. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it it was always pretty good. Um, There's only a few times that it was bad where like I would go in and they would want like you know some of the some of the the big they, schools. Ryan Wilkerson. No, nah, <laughs> I was always respectful and I was always. Uh, you know, my, I mean, if you've ever trained with me, you know, I'm not aggressive and I'm not going to, I would never like, I think Noah said it before, like he wouldn't go and try to submit people. He wouldn't go and try to like, you know, kill the person that he's going with. You know, I, even if they weren't as good as me, I wouldn't, I was, um, I, it's probably a, a negative in my game where I, I, I accept things that I shouldn't accept and, you know, kind of let the other person be better than me pretty much almost every role type of thing. So... I never had experiences where I would just get my ass beat. I know Chris is like Chris, like Chris is like eyeballing me. He's like, I'm wait like, a minute. I need to have a chat he's like, about this. he's like, this sounds like me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? <laughs> it's definitely one of the biggest negatives in my game, and my the way I train is, I, I'm too nice. I would say sometimes, and too respectful or too worried about the other person's feelings and their their <laughs> ego. Are you guilty of apologizing to somebody and checking if they're okay oh, after yeah. you sweep them? Oh yeah. <laughs> I want to see you guys roll now. I want to see. Well, we just, just we just apologize back and forth to each other. It's like it's like, a Canadian roll. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Or, or you stop somebody's sweep and you're like, oh, sorry about that. You know, that was really good. You know. I don't know. All right, so I want to go back. This this is burning. You were saying Paul was was punishing you, Chris, in mount, and you couldn't escape. What were you trying to do 
at the time? What were your Mount escapes here? Let, let's uh, oh, let's okay. talk shop right. on this. Because I, I was going with him and I was in Mount. And I got out and I had to ask him. I was like, did you give me that? You know, like what happened? So I want to like talk notes with you here. Okay, so he was... So my, my gut reaction anytime when somebody mounts me is... I'm, I'm, I'm fairly good at elbow escaping, right? So I need to try to elbow escape. Try to get them low on my hips. Um, try to get my knees... And elbows close together, <clears throat> excuse me, and try to bring my elbows to my hips so I can try to sneak my knee in at the proper angle, that sort of thing. Um, I try, and it, it's it's a fault of my game too, is I try to do as little explosion as possible, and I know, like, bucking and, like, trying to oopa my way out, but, and, and it's a fault of my game too, where I just don't go for things, is I always assume that the person knows what I'm going to do. So I don't try to oop as much as I should to try to off balance. Cause like the last thing I want to do while I'm rolling with somebody is to be accused of like the fucking wild douchebag. See now Tommy's grinning over there. Like that. I mean, like, so you, you've gone through this, I assume, right? Like, is it, how often do you encounter that mental block that keeps you from executing because you're arguing with yourself, saying this guy knows that I'm going to do this, so I'm not going to do this. Yeah, so I don't really do that. So that's one thing I don't do too often. Um, it's more than me. If I if I do something and I don't do it one hundred percent correct, I I I uh, like punish myself. Like if 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 I do something seventy five percent and it kind of works, I'll punish myself and give it up because I feel like. I didn't do it 100% correct, so I don't deserve to get it. So no, no, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, stop. Okay. You know. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> do, you, do you have this ideal, like, platonic of each technique in mind? And if it's not, the sequence isn't perfect, and this is the most beautiful technique you can do at that moment. Like, you punish yourself, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay. Like, I, and and we, we need the, the thing about, about jujitsu is... It's never going to work 100%. And it, it's never going to be, it's not, uh, if you're going against somebody that's either more skilled than you or equally skilled as you, most of the time it's not going to be that pretty. And it, it, it takes some effort to do something. And if it, if it takes effort for me, I usually give it up because I. And that's, that's my thought, right? And this is something that Dean talked to me about a long time ago. As he said to me, you know, I, I was like, he's like, te- sometimes techniques just, they need to be ugly. Yeah. Right? Did you, did you do a traditional martial art before? Never. Really? Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I'm going to blame Taekwondo on this, is that there's supposed to be like ideal techniques where everything's supposed to be mechanically proper and this and that and thing. And if it requires strength, then it's not true jujitsu. And maybe there's, yeah, there's something to that. I don't, you know, but I, I, what is it? Paul, is it Paul who said like technique above all, but strength matters also? Oh, hundred percent. You know, yeah. but then, but then you hear and this is a little bit that, that sort of like hero worship that comes in is like you hear, you know, like Helio Gracie and I don't know whether they're real or not, but you see these like fucking memes that like with a black background and Helio Gracie holding his belt, like in front of his nuts saying like, you know, technique or jujitsu should require no strength at all. And I can do this as a 95 year old man or whatever the hell it is. Right. Um, and maybe I buy into that hype a little bit that there is this idealized jujitsu. Or what was that documentary? I think it was called Roll, where um, Chris Howder is talking about how Hickson would 
would take all the pressure and side control and and focus it on one like yeah. on, on like a on like the tip of a needle like he could focus he'd make his shoulder the tip of a needle and drive it right into like the ideal like per, like on your clavicle your chin and just like keep you pinned focus all that energy like a crashing wave <laughs> i want to be a crashing an avalanche of snow a crashing wave how how much of that is mythology do you feel and how much i mean like we're we're just kicking i'm drunk at this point so um <laughs> what are your thoughts on that tommy explain yeah i mean so i don't know it it, it, it it's both you know like there definitely takes some you know strength and there's no way it, going against an unskilled opponent yes you can do you can do no no strength and yeah. you know do those things but Against any any person that's trained, you you need to use some kind of strength for the most part, you know. Or not even strength, just like athleticism. Or, right? Athleticism, like, yeah. right? At some at some point, that two equally skilled people, if somebody's more athletic or more are going harder, they're usually going to be in a better position. You know, it's it's just it's just physics. See, I think I think what ends up happening is I think people put too much outside of just having basic cardio, which I think is essential. Um, I think the fitness side of jiu-jitsu only really should come into it should only be a concern of a student's mind as they get into the really high levels because I think the quickest way to improve is not through physical fitness and getting stronger but just training more and getting superior technique it's only when you're at a high level technically and your opponents are at a high level technically now now you're going to get big now the significance of being in better shape, being a little stronger, will be more noticeable because you can't make such rapid gains or such significant gains just by technique. But if you're a blue belt like myself, it's like I feel like I could lift weights three days a week, but I'm probably better off training three more hours that week and learning more technique because I improve so much quicker right now because I'm a blue belt and technique is just that's that's the way to get better just i can work on my delahiva sweep i can work on x guard getting into x guard i can work on all these other cool things um you have to have cardio you know and you do have to have some strength so maybe i'm taking for granted that i'm not out of shape to begin with but outside of just being in basic shape and having decent cardio just i would say just train 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 yeah i mean Chris is still thinking about even, Tommy even, being his spirit animal and like, and how, and how it's like, <laughs> how you getting, so this is the dilemma. I feel like this is the dilemma with you guys. It's like, you guys have Kali on top of you, yes. making your life miserable. And you're still thinking about, I hope I don't hurt this guy. So I'm not going to explode. No, that, that's exactly it. Right. I mean, I, and I think that's fucked up <laughs> because that guy's already like he, he's like the, the first stone has been cast. So are you going to be a glutton for pun- I'm looking at you, Chris. I'm not looking at Tommy. I'm looking straight into, into Chris's eyes. Are you going to be a glutton for punishment and, and be miserable? Or are you going to do something about it? Because guess what? He's he's already kind of shown to you through his actions how much he cares about. And, I, and I'm not using Kali as a bully here. Kali's a great guy. But I mean, that opponent is telling you how much he or she values your body because they're making you pretty damn uncomfortable. Um, that's an interesting question. I, I won't compromise my care for my training partners regardless of their treatment of me. 
Honestly, honestly, I don't. I don't. It's like it's just. It's. I mean, it's just one thing I don't compromise on. Like I, I, if if the tap matters to them that much, then I, I don't. I'm I'm gonna do everything within my like knowledge, my scope of knowledge to technique my way out of it. But I I just often won't. More often than not, probably ninety five percent don't explode into things. I don't. I mean, like you've rolled with me enough at this point. Like you can tell. Like I always what, keep like a steady pressure. What about frame? Like what about frames? Like I would argue that certain frames are uncomfortable on your opponent. But to, <laughs> so like frames to me are sort of the uh, the like the pulling the lever to let. <laughs> so like there's like that like philosophical um, like sort of thought experiment of like. It, it, there's like a track that splits into a Y and there's like one person and then four people on the other side of the track. And like you, you, if oh, you pull the, the lever, this is the sociopath. Yeah, exactly. It's like, are so you like, a sociopath or not? This is that quick. Yeah. So like if you pull the lever, then it's going to hit like, or if you let the, if you leave the lever alone, it's going to hit like four people. But if you pull the lever, it'll hit like the one person, right? So it'll like kill four versus one. So it's like a very like sort of statistical, like sterile. You know what? It's pure math. Just let the one person go. Versus like there's one track and four people on the end of it and a barreling like cart coming at them and you're standing next to a giant fat dude above the track and like could you push the guy and make him stop the cart and let him die? to like in lieu of like the four or people dying i'd be the type of person that's like you know i'll pull the lever in in essence i'll, I'll make the frame and let let it kind of happen to them versus um versus uh pushing the dude I, I, I had a good point to say, but then you got me all confused with this mumbo jumbo about hypothetical trains and, <laughs> and obese people and stuff like that um okay so here's my example like the inevitable. No, no, happen, here, no right? here's my so, example. Like, Justin, our buddy Justin, okay? Yes. Justin, for those of you who don't know, those of you who know who Justin is, you'll get this Your story. Justin. Yeah. Justin is Your the guy. The, Justin's the guy who shows up to geek class wearing a t shirt and shorts. He's been training for many, many years. He doesn't give a shit about technique, but he loves grabbing people's heads and, rip, and popping them off. Like, he will turn you into a Lego head and pop it off. <laughs> now, um, and he's very skilled with his submissions. It's just he doesn't give a shit about anything else. I, he'll be in my gu- I, he will be in my guard, and he will c- try to can open to me. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. I would like to know what your reaction is. Here's my reaction. My reaction is to open my guard. Okay, you're because that's the that's the solution, right? If you if he's in your guard and they try yeah, to but I'm like I'm like you're gonna do that. F you. I'm gonna take both my fists and jam them in. And either side of your no, carotid arch. We're going back to the tit for tat thing. Like, no, but no, but it's not, no, no, but I'm not escalating. I'm framing very aggressively with my fist. I'm not punching him. I'm not doing a Tex Johnson. Your, you frame with your fists where? On his throat, on his jugular, and that gets him to break it. Because guess what? He's 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 not even he's not even doing clean jujitsu as you like to say. Like the cleanest. He's cranking the f out of my neck. You know what I mean? If he goes north south, what's an actual defense for a north south? A late defense for a north south. Okay, tap. No, Nick Paul showed me you you take both your you take your fingers or your fist and you get it that's right on their neck. Ju- that's not jujitsu. It works. It's not jujitsu. Oh come on! <laughs> what do you mean that's not jujitsu? That's, that's like some, what, what, that's, what's jujitsu? That's some weird crab maga. <laughs> like there there's got to be a better way, right? Like there's got to be a better way. 
my, in, in my opinion. My point is, it's not. It's not. It's, Batman should not kill the Joker. No. <laughs> he, there's got to be a better way. No, my point has is is less to do with whether it's jujitsu or not. My point is, I'm in. I have to defend myself. And if you're if you're basically you're basically, in my opinion, handcuffing yourself for some sort of higher value, like for some self righteousness or something here. At the expense of your own body, that could have short or long-term effects. But I'll just tap. Yeah, it's a thing. So, is he defending? Is he not defending himself, or is he just moving on and going to the exactly, next, exactly, going right. to the next position and trying again? So, it's is it his ego that's being hurt by not uh, by not uh, defending himself and putting th- jamming his thumbs into somebody's throat, or is it your ego mm. that's being <laughs> hurt? Is there a little insecurity now that you just feel like, you know, it's not insecurity. Can't let a can opener beat me. No, it's 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 competitive. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's competitive. I don't care. I don't care about not tapping as much as he cares about. Exactly. Yeah. That's. I mean. That's. Oh, so now you're gonna make me feel bad. You you guys are above it. We've we we're Buddhists here. We've all we've transcended. (laughs) The world is suffering. Jujitsu is suffering. We've accepted that we've transcended. And now we're in Nirvana. And meanwhile, I'm here still trying to you know get my wins there's, and there's losses no, here on the no mat. <laughs> losing in jiu-jitsu, you win or you learn, Noah. <laughs> I learn a lot. <laughs> you win so, or you learn. So what were you trying to do to get out of mount? You, you, just, you, basically, oh, yeah, taught, so you basically taught a, an elbow escape lesson. <laughs> but what were you actually doing? Trying to elbow I was escape? trying to elbow escape. I w- so he would sit there and he'd S-mount me with, uh, onto my right side. Was his left foot propped up, or excuse me, his right foot propped up at my hip? Um, I tried to invert my left knee to try to elbow escape that way, but his foot was at my hip, so I tried to weave my knee to where the crook of his knee is to try to elbow escape that way. But then he would just flatten me out again. Um, Did you ever try the? Um, <laughs> you're gonna laugh at the the two fists on the hip escape, which he mean, does you teach. To like, you mean to, to the like, frame to frame and then yeah. like stick my feet in there and like vibrate my way out of it? No, no you you and he teaches this. This is one of the four escapes that he teaches in class, where you go both fists to the to the hip pocket on either side, you bridge, and then when you drop your hips, you ex- you, you, you push with yeah, yeah you kind I of mean, explode to to try and free your hips. I mean, I I don't think I would have in that because he's he not was, once you get to S mount, not oh, once so, you get yeah. to S mount, but before that. Um, did he have? Did he have his his legs crossed? He didn't have low. his leg binds. It no, no, he didn't have. He didn't have, he didn't not, have not, top full guard. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I I mean I know I should have upad top balance him, create kazushi, and then rock my legs back and forth to do the the Nick Paul escape. No, don't do that. He will mock you if you do that one. <laughs> um, I you know it's. And it's something I'm gonna have to go back to the well at again and again and again. Like, Maybe you should have videotaped your role. I just should have. like, <laughs> and I, but I'm, I'm taking mental notes, right? Like I know, I know what I did last time, and I didn't try inverting my knee and trying to elbow skip that way. And and it's, I don't know. I mean, like, I remember Paul saying, like, I'm always looking to see if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Maybe I just keep doing the wrong thing, and I just need to keep trying. So I think what's um. One thing I believe about jujitsu, I think I, I think this is true about a lot of stuff. Okay, Chris, Chris has to go to has to go to the bathroom, but go ahead. Um, this is what happens when you drink beer on an empty stomach before 10 a.m. Anyway, um, I like to think that one of the most frustrating things about learning 
and I'm going to use jujitsu as the example here, is failing and not knowing why. And I think that's something that a lot of black belts suffer, or anybody. I mean, it's not a white, but definitely white belts. But I think a lot of times if we know, like in Chris's case, like Chris did not get out of mount, but he, he knows of all these things he could have done to try that makes him want to go back and roll with Paul or someone else again. Whereas if you don't know what, why you failed, you're kind of just stuck there with this look on your face like, well, this isn't fun. Like, I don't know. Like, it's fun to know the reasons, even if you don't succeed, because at least you have something to aim for. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, how I, that's how I view it. Um, learning, trying to figure out why it didn't work or... Um, what I can do to fix it or to do that. The problem really comes when people don't care why it didn't work or they just, you know. You're talking about as students, they don't care? Yeah, or, or just anybody. I mean, not even just as, I mean, yeah, just as students or a practitioner even. If I mean, I know black belts right now that try something, it doesn't work, so they just stop and just go back to doing the same thing that they've been doing. And for me, that that's... I, I I don't feel like that's you know that's not the way I want to do jujitsu. So stuff like that, not caring or not wanting to know why something failed, becomes a problem for me. What have you seen like get added to jujitsu just in the time you've been training it? Get added? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, like for example, I would imagine leg locks when you first started were probably not as commonplace as they are now. I'm taking a guess. Uh, or maybe I mean, not, because Nick Paul told me Seth Petroselli, one of the first things he showed was like a running toehold. Like, this is, how you, this is how you pass the guard. You go for a rolling toehold. <laughs> evidently what Seth Petroselli taught that. That's what, that's what I yeah, just yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what ridiculous. But I was asking Tommy, I was like, so have you, like, what changes? And, and Chris, you can answer this question too, because you've been training, you know, for an equally long amount of time, it's like, have Actually you seen change? Yeah, have you seen changes in jujitsu over that time period? And I, I use the example of maybe the more prevalence of leg locks, but that's just I'm throwing that out there as a guess. I mean, usually, for the most part, it's driven by competition. So as the rules of IBJJF have changed, or as top level competitors change, that's usually what drives the new stuff. Uh, for the most part, I mean, 50-50 came around because people started using it in competition and that's kind of drilled, that kind of drove what people were learning off of YouTube and learning off of these new instructors. So it's, competition drives it a lot. Like lasso guards started coming around more often. I mean, this stuff, it's stuff is, that's been around, but either people didn't use it or people didn't teach it because it, it didn't really, it wasn't pretty jujitsu at the time or it wasn't traditional. So as people started going away from traditional stuff, um, that kind of just becomes more popular. It's kind of what what's popular at the time, and it's usually driven by competition for the most part. I think. What's traditional? Because I think this is what's funny is I've just been I've been training just under two years. I just know the snapshot that I've seen now. What was traditional jujitsu for you guys when you started, or when you guys were blue belts? I mean. For me, the blue like everything you learned as a white belt was very traditional. Um, There's some uh, more details or more uh, a couple changes to like um, 
it's evolved uh, obviously but um i mean the techniques for the most part are were the traditional techniques and that's what we were learning even up until blue uh purple belt and stuff like that it was just it was very repetitive back then it was you probably did like your blue belt test was probably the same stuff we were doing and learning as a purple belt it's just adding to it or you, you had to you know one thing one technique from de la Hiva instead of three techniques but it, you probably have learned them all that i learned as a purple belt at the time um i would say like yeah like just along the lines of what tommy was saying just the i think we were taught in a very sort of like linear fashion of like first this then this then this yeah. so and i'm still guilty of behaving that way on the mat versus the sort of more mind mapped approach to learning um, I, I would say the biggest evolution in jiu-jitsu is sort of transcends just the technique end of it and like what sort of um, is trendy and popular at the time, but it comes to more of the way it's taught. Um, the environments of the gyms, I feel, have evolved considerably. Um, and I'm not trying to put a moral component on it, whether it's right or wrong, but just to say that it's gone from a very sort of attrition based like who sort of just sticks around because it's just tough hard like training and if you're either dumb enough or tough enough to stick around then you do and you and, and you learn from it um which i think in turn sort of could have uh produces a little bit of like a survivor bias um and versus we, we very well could have lost the greatest jiu-jitsu player along the way because of that um and as uh sort of like modern athletics the coaching methods have been uh, integrated into jiu-jitsu. I think it's improved training, like a better onboarding process, as you and I have discussed a lot of times, um, to focus on sort of like movement and to focus on uh, the more the meta of jiu-jitsu versus like, you know, week one, all just self-defense. Week two, you know, close guard, scissor sweep. Week three, like... And just sort of like dumping somebody into whatever curriculum is going on at the time with the expectation of like, we're going to show you where this fits into it big picture. I think that's a big part of how jujitsu has evolved over the, the years here. Yeah, definitely the, you know, the style of teaching. I mean, it, it really depends on where you go to is if the, the school or the instructor doesn't want to evolve. It's very similar to the way it was back then. I know I, even a couple of years ago, I was, at places where it was very similar to how I started training, you know, it's like, but as it, as the businesses grow, as as uh, the sport evolves and the, the the martial art evolves, you know, it, it really depends on how you want to teach. Do you, you want to have retention and grow your school and grow your your business, or do you do you want to be uh, considered the tough gym and you know and and have 15 guys in the mat. Yeah, that are really time. tough. That yeah. may, may not know all the techniques, but they're tough. You know, it's it's the style of the, you know the of the sport and the the business. When you were training coming up, was it more like tough guy creamed coming to the top sort of thing, or had they already moved beyond that a little bit? It's a little bit of both, but it, you know, so I I pretty much did just submission grappling and jujitsu uh, coming up, so. At the time, they started adding more of the MMA classes, so that's kind of where the cream of the crop kind of uh, mentality was more based out of. So, like in jujitsu, I didn't really have to worry about 
uh, getting crushed and just getting destroyed, you know, like that was more the MMA side. So I never had to deal with that too much. I mean, people were definitely rougher and stuff like back then, and it definitely, you know, smoothed out a little bit, but I never had to deal with that mentality of, uh, I'm just, the, the, the instructor's just going to crush you for an hour, and if you stay around, you know. How much, um, like, how much How much of the time early on were you doing gi versus no gi? Like, what was the breakdown percentage-wise? Um, I think it was about 50-50 for me, uh, just because one day it was gi, one day it was no, uh, okay. no gi, so if I came four days a week, I was doing one of each probably. You know, back then the schedules were a lot more open, so um, it wasn't there wasn't as much opportunity to do gi like every day, you know, stuff like that. So um, back then it was, you did, you paid for one program and it was gi and no gi type of thing. You know, you didn't really have the opportunity to do separate, separate now, programs. Now when you did it, did you guys have the, the, the colored shirts that I hear about? Like the right, like explain to me that, like, like I've heard about this cursorily, but I've never had some, someone explain this to me but I understood there was some sort of ranking. But the cool thing is, I, I believe there was like a camo rank or someone had ca- got to wear camo. I and have I, one still. You, you have one? I, yeah, you? I'll, I'll, bring it in next, I'll bring it in next week. Okay, so it, someone explained to me how that, how that worked. Where did this happen? Was it says a knockout fitness thing? What, where did this occur? So uh, for me, I, from what I remember, it was when we moved over to uh, Golden Goldenrod. Okay. Yeah, and... Uh, it was uh, we had the different programs and they, you know, instituted a different colored shirts for the no gi grappling for or submission grappling. So people that didn't do gi, they would be ranked uh, to be separated by. Back then, it was to separate who who uh, was learning what techniques and stuff like that. But what were the colors? Um, because it wasn't was, it, was it, it, it wasn't blue. There, there was, was like I saw a picture and I saw a picture of a really young collie like standing in the back. I think you might have posted a picture. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, damn, look at all these faces. But it I wasn't was, it wasn't yeah. like traditional jujitsu belt colors. I like it wasn't like white shirts, blue shirts, purple shirts, brown shirts, black shirts. It was like I saw camo, I saw yellow. I was like, what the hell's going on here? It was like so camo were the instructors, right? And the idea that. Is that camo was supposed to be? <laughs> this is so cheesy. Yes. Uh, so, so I'm a little bit more inside baseball because um, I was involved in just sort of like not the planning of it, but I was just you know I, I helped teach a couple classes here and there back in the day. The idea of camo was that like it's supposed to integrate all of the colors, right? Which uh, realistically, if you like physics, that's white, right? Like all of the colors. But either way, so like you know, or it, or if you mix them with crayons as a kid, it looks like vomit. At the, yeah, <laughs> but so camo is supposed to be representative of all the colors. So the instructors wore camo, um, and I believe because they they decided to go with sort of like karate ranks, which is why you saw like orange and green and stuff. And then and this was before they were implementing the green belt system to get more money out of people. Not at our gym. At, uh, in within the jujitsu belts, um, so that that's where you see like the the goofy colors, not not goofy the, the extra colors. Okay, um, Tommy, do you concur with that? From what yeah. I remember, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I for submission grappling, it was more. I think it was closer to the belt colors. Yeah. From what I remember, the MMA, and, M- MMA, MMA, and then the and Muay Thai. Kick, yeah, 
Oh, that's right. Because they, they had ranks for all those disciplines. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't just submission grappling. It was also Muay Thai and MMA. I mean, the idea is to, to keep him motivated, right? I've um, heard horror stories from the... From the MMA test. Oh, the first one. Were you when there people were getting, nah. <laughs> getting. It was basically so the first MMA test. Um, so when I joined uh, ATT from my, the other gym, uh, I came with Bobby, and there was a big. And at that point, they had split off between ATT Orlando, located at Dean and University, and they opened up and expanded to ATT Longwood, which is its sort of like own entity now. Um, I actually went with Longwood because I live closer to that, that area, so I could help out over there. And um, I actually started the kids' program over there with Joe Pernia. And um, so for the first big, like, sort of ceremonial belt testing slash, like, end-of-the-year party type of thing, they did, they set up a smoker, basically, between MMA students from Dean University and Longwood. And it was... It was basically just a pro fight with like all your friends and family watching where people were getting knocked out. I remember at one point Kenny Kenny was I think testing for some MMA rank and he ended up sparring with Paul and Paul beat the shit out of him. <laughs> some of it because it was everybody just didn't know better at the time, but a big part was because it was Kenny. Right. Um and dude, it was it was like a mauling. Um, so it was like, so you weren't there? I think I was, yeah. It was, it was a very green group of instructors, let's yeah. just say. Uh, and it's evolved considerably since then just to, uh, to make it a more tr- proper tribe-like atmosphere and uh, a less competitive atmosphere on a, on a joyful day. Yeah, I, I've heard, I've heard things get- of people getting like, getting their out. bells rung and, and stuff like that. was like, like 11 that. years ago, too, by the yeah, way. I mean, so. Yeah, I exactly. mean, like, like, literally. I, yeah, and it, it's funny because <laughs> I found out about this indirectly through a second story where um, Julius invited Paul to his promotions. And for whatever reason, Julius um, had a guy up for his blue belt and he gave Paul <laughs> one of this guy's challenges on that day was to have sort of like um, street scenario takedowns. What? So kind of like self-defense uh, oh, takedown man. scenario. So, so I was he, there at this. And then, uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so oh, he, oh, gave, please, so he gave. So I'll give my side. Then Tommy can give his side. As uh, this is this is the recount Paul told me, and then you can give me the spectator account. So Julius goes up to Paul and gives him some be- some gloves, and he says, "You're gonna. This guy's gonna try and take him take you down." And Paul's like, "Well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you want me to knock him out?" <laughs> you know. Oh my God. So. So what Paul told me is he went out there. The guy looked kind of scared because he's like, this is black belt. You know, I've got cauliflower and all this stuff. And he said, look, man, he's like, I'll let you work, but you ain't taking me down. There are too many people here watching. (laughs) So that was my side. So what did you? (laughs) That was pretty honest uh, recount of the the occasion. It was a. Yeah. Luckily, my knee, I think I was hurt at the time. So I couldn't I couldn't do it because he asked me to do it, too. And I, it would have been, I don't know. It was very, it was, it was good, but it was very odd to have a, you know, a black belt instructor. Your your instructor uh, give a blue belt test to somebody that he never met in his life, and with with uh, boxing gloves on and 
be like, oh yeah, try to take this guy down. And yeah, it was who nice. also was an MMA fighter too. Yeah. Right, right. Like a professional. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like you might have a chance against some people that don't do takedowns or don't strike, but this guy actually yeah. <laughs> has done it all. <laughs> what? A, so do you think? So I, I wonder what the the sort of genesis of that was. Like, do you suppose that's sort of like a play on not a playoff, but like he kind of got that idea from yeah the like Gracie, the Gracie combative? yeah okay, all I, right. I think so and i mean at the same time he does teach that a little bit more he has people coming to him that are uh <laughs> coming from karate or something like that or their kids are in and they want more of the self-defense style so they're not necessarily focused only on the sport as much as we are and and he's a little bit more traditional. He comes from more of a traditional karate or, you know, martial art background. So he 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 tries to teach that. So just his style is a little different. And I mean, Paul's talked about doing similar stuff like that. Like if, yeah, yeah. if you know if if you're a black belt in jiu-jitsu, you should be able to defend yourself against punches and stuff like that. And you should. You know, I've never had to. Like I've never I've never gone. That's the ultimate jujitsu. Though. Right. Well, I've I think never... a solid blue belt should be able to defend themselves right, against exactly. most people. Yeah, Agree. The um, but so, that, yeah. I mean, because I mean, Paul did that like that one seminar. Did you do that? Like a yeah, I was there for that. The, the jiu mm-hmm. hits seminar. Yeah. Um, I, that should be a part of our curriculum. Is it a part of the white belt curriculum? I, I don't even. know. It is. It's on the blue belt test. It's taught maybe two twice. During the year, it's something that at best we get two weeks to, to look at. So it's always the thing that the students get a little like crash course on it from Paul when they have questions because they get their sheet of paper. Congratulations, you've been nominated. These are the techniques you need to know. And that self-defense, that self-defense portion usually throws everyone for a loop because they're like, I've never done this. Funnily enough, the people that would do very well on it are the kids. Because the kids practice all the, like, how do you get out of a schoolboy? We don't oh, practice right, yeah, that, but sure. they practice that all the time. So a lot of the self-defense stuff is really, so Victor was very, like, because Victor helps out with the kids' class. He's like, shit, I know all these techniques because we do them with the kids. And, and that's what Paul teaches a lot of times. So just because, I guess, again, the business aspect of it is something that comes up a lot. It's like, what's ideal for development? What's ideal for retention? They're not always the same thing. You know, a lot of people are just happy to roll, you know, which but it's great for retention. Yeah, yeah I mean, which is great for retention, but is it the best for I've development? Class, so yeah. Chris Vu signing out. All right. Um, and I think you're supposed to be on the other mat. So just FYI, you're going to keep you're going to keep things on that. mat. I think. Yeah, exactly. it's funny, Chris. I, I meant to tell you, uh, you're one of the first guys I ever followed or like met online before I ever actually even met you. Really? So I, I recognized you from your uh, which forum? Uh, sure yeah, sure dog and really? MMA. Uh, what was it? MMA. What was it? Uh, what's what, the Orlando? Was it? Um, what's the Orlando uh, forum that was or a Florida forum? Oh my god! It was like MMA. Uh, just there the was, main MMA. One. There was one that was like sub fighter. Um, I think that's what maybe I don't know. So there was sub fighter. I think Gracie Baja actually made one at one. Yeah, point. I think. So. Was it one of those? Man, so I've been. Your uh, your avatar was uh, you on a gorilla's back, and oh my much, god, much heavier <laughs> at the time. And <laughs> internet so, celebrity. <laughs> before you even came to Goldenrod, I was following you and talking really? to you online. Yeah. Who? What was your handle? I don't know. Don't really? Well, what was your screen name? I probably did I, did I, I, I probably didn't mistakenly post type A S L question mark to you. <laughs> if I do, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. See you guys. See you guys.
All right, so I had a question that I, I was actually looking at the. We have um, we have our little set of plaques up on the wall with all the black belts. Tommy's one of them, and I was looking at that while you guys were talking. And I realized that, um, with a couple exceptions, but for the most part, most of those guys have been aspirations or already have open gyms. A couple guys have not. But a lot of guys, Julian, Julius, um, th- you know, these guys have Dylan, opened. Yeah. Dylan, do you have any interest in opening a gym? Not in the sense of, I mean, I do. I enjoy teaching. Um, not as a career, I don't think. I mean, maybe if I could eventually uh, make a career out of it, I would. But no aspirations of uh, actually, like, owning and being the owner of a gym, you know. Um I wouldn't mind running a gym and, uh, you know, being a head instructor type of thing or being a, you know, a head instructor under somebody, but um, not really of owning a gym in that sense. Okay. So head, the head instructor teaching all the time, yes, but yeah, but doing the, the nitty gritty of the books and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Not I, know, so I mean, much. It's, I'm, I feel like I'm still learning and I don't really have... Uh, the knowledge to do that and uh, uh, I don't have a you know a, a plan to uh, be able to do that at this time so maybe if I learned and I come up with my own uh, you know my own style or own ideas and stuff that I'd be more willing to do it but uh, at this time I'm still just learning as much as I can and do you think if you start working full-time it would take some of the luster off like out of jujitsu like is it is it because I've I've kind of debated that I'm like is it nice to have critical like separation of church and state, so to speak? It's like I have my job, and we all bitch about our jobs. That's just human nature. Yeah. Like, but I will never bitch about jujitsu because it's not my job. It's my I won't say haven because I I do enjoy my work. But um, I had a I one of my neighbors or former neighbors um, is a yoga instructor, but she told me she would never make yoga instruction her job she's she's been a teacher in like the public school right. system and she's like because i don't want to tarnish the purity and now i feel like she she's being kind of um very yogi of her right, right. i don't want to tarnish the purity i would never charge for right. yoga or anything but i get it i get where she's coming from and i thought it was very um it was very mature to actually just come out and just say that's like the minute something becomes a job um, for practical reasons, a lot of other stuff come into play that you don't have to worry about if you're not, you know, if it's not your job. Like, do you ever think that, do you ever, do you think that if you did jujitsu as a vocation, even not as a gym owner, which obviously has a bunch of overhead, right. but even just being an instructor, would that take some of the luster off? Is it better to just be a student in your opinion? For you personally, not better... I'm just saying better for yeah, you. Yeah. So as, as goal as your goals change, it it, it kind of changes, you know. Even as a even as a purple belt, once I started um, teaching more than um, taking classes, like especially brown belt and uh, and then eventually black belt, where I was being more of the teacher than like a student, and I was running the classes myself. I I mean I could definitely see my my quote game suffering, you know, like. You're drilling less, you know. If if you only have a certain amount of hours to put on the mat, and you're teaching half of them, you're, you you might be conceptualizing the con the techniques better, but uh, performance and you know 
doing the techniques live definitely suffers a little bit. So, um, I could see it in that, in that case, but I don't think tarnishing the idea of it or anything like that, I, I wouldn't be worried about that as much. What about, um, do you think it should be a requirement for, um, I don't know whether it's purple or brown, but for someone on their journey to get better, to have to teach, like, do you think like, let's make it simple. Do you think an, um, an obligation of brown belts in order to get their black belt is to start teaching? I don't think an obligation, but I think it's definitely, I mean, it, it's kind of case by case, you know, some people perform better. Some people teach better. Um, some people just roll live better. You know, it's just, uh, it's kind of up to you, your instructor to kind of push you in the direction that they need to like evaluate you. If, um, there's some people that if they want to get promoted to brown belt, maybe I would make them teach, you know, like to see if that's kind of the course and they understand the techniques. They might not be able to perform live as well against like, you know, a more skilled opponent, but I may make them teach it and see if they know it. Um, it's, well, I mean, how do you, how do you view that whole thing? Cause it's like, Chris and I have talked about this and we've debated this where it comes down to, What's the criteria for different belts and, and that sort of thing? Hang on. Well, I'm saying hang on to the thing, but Victor's saying goodbye. You out of here? Hello. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. <laughs> Have a good weekend, man. I got you. I got you. Yeah, I got you. I got you. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a mix. You know, it's. I don't really put uh, emphasis on one over the other. I mean, I, per, I mean, my preference is uh, knowing the techniques and being able to teach the techniques over maybe performing them at the highest level. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, a black belt that can teach and, and knows all the techniques, he might get beat by, you know, a competition brown belt or a purple belt a lot, you know, going live and, you know, maybe not get submitted, but they might, you know, lose a, a, a quote, jujitsu match, you know. It, it's just... It's, it's a balance. I think if uh, I, I, I put I put more emphasis on the total package than you know one specific uh, course. Do so you think that's kind of up to the instructor to sort of see um, how each student is kind of blossoming and and to kind of evaluate them on on that criteria and not have this kind of universal. I don't I know if so. it's MMA math or jujitsu math. It's like A beats B, B beats C sort of thing and, right. and doing things. Okay. Yeah, it, there's definitely several different criteria, and one one person might be better in several of them and, and still might, you know, lose a match. You know, it doesn't mean that they're not a black belt. I, in, my, in my, the way I feel, you know, maybe the old school, you know, I I probably wouldn't be a, a black belt in the old school, not you know sense. You know, like just go out there and beat just somebody. Scrap, yeah, bro. Just scrap, bro. Yeah, just you know, <laughs> just scrap. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. So if you weren't doing jujitsu, what would you be doing? Right now, I'd be uh, <laughs> I I don't know. So it's it's taken so much of my life. I don't know what I would be doing. Like, what other hobbies do you have? I know. Did you play soccer when you were younger? Yeah. So I grew up playing soccer, baseball, well, baseball, then soccer. Um, I've played all my life, pretty much the last thirty-five years. I've played baseball, and then you know, thirty or thirty-three years, I played soccer, and then I, you know, I picked up scuba diving. So I scuba dive a lot, and then. Just recently got into fishing and kayaking. Oh, wow. <laughs> you need to move to Colorado, I man. Know, I know. 
<laughs> um, I like you, hiking and stuff like that. Did so. you find that that growing up playing soccer and baseball helped you when you started doing jujitsu in your twenties? No. Really? <laughs> not really. Uh, I'm not talking about like oh, I have hand-eye coordination, but just the fact that you've already learned a sport and you know your body that didn't you feel like that didn't give you any sort of advantage when you're doing jujitsu, or you just not really. I mean, uh, I mean, I was in okay shape, but other than that, I could have come out. Uh, you know, it, it was a totally different thing. Um, so you don't think any? You don't think any of that carried over? Like none of those movements, or just even having athletic base? I want to try and so convince you on this. It's like a little. What, I mean, you what know, position did you play in baseball? Uh, short, shortstop, second base. Yeah. Okay, so when the pitcher's about to pitch the ball, that stance you're in to get ready. Is that's kind of a combat base, right? Like you're yeah, kind so of doing I, a squat. I mean, I, I guess right? in that sense, the athletic like stance helped. But uh, if I wrestled, it would have been a lot better. <laughs> oh know? yeah, yeah. I, I won't argue that. So I, growing up, I always had a uh, so I always had an athletic base, and I always uh, even like just wrestling with friends and stuff. I never wrestled in my life. Actually, I wrestled for one week when I was a freshman in high school. The coach wasn't even there, and they just had us wrestle, and I. Uh, Tried to do a WWE move to pin somebody, and they all laughed at me. And then uh, I pretty much went to soccer after that. But uh, it was uh, athletic-wise. I mean, I was always good at sports, so maybe that's that carried over. But the the I don't know the specific sports. I don't think mattered. I think just being athletic and being involved and stuff helped. Um. I know uh, you've got to get to a beer garden and a beer fest and all that good stuff. And we've already had a beer, so you'll be all warmed up. Um, Before I let you go, I was just wondering, you've always been one to not not give long speeches, but you always tend to have a comment or two to say at promotions and stuff when stuff comes around. Is there anything... not for the audience, because I, you know, we have two people listening, so I don't care. Um, but for a guy like me, in where I am as a blue belt, um, any advice, words of wisdom, any thoughts? I think you guys actually said it, but um, the biggest thing I took out of uh, you know coming up and and uh, doing this doing uh, jujitsu um, and the way I I feel like I evolved the most was just you know, training the train and not worrying about my ego and worrying about, you know, winning, winning every round and winning every, you know, exchange and stuff. And just, uh, take it in in stride and just try to, you know, just do the techniques and learn as much as you can and try to just put your ego aside and just try to train the train, you know, if you tap, I, I mean, I, I, I guarantee I tap more as a purple belt than any of you guys have in your, in your careers. So, uh, just don't, don't worry about the, you know, the, the winning the round and just keep going. And, oh man. So I have to get rid of that ledger I have at home with little, the win loss record. Uh, <laughs> um, I've never done this before, but I think it actually is appropriate in your case. Um, any shout outs? I know you are a rep for origin. So do you have uh, oh, any yeah, shout-outs I mean, you'd like to, to make before you let go? I mean, I don't really try to shout-out, but, I mean, the Origin guys are great. Uh, this is a great company. Uh, they make the best keys, in my opinion, and the best uh, best stuff for the sport. And my my friends, the Four Horsemen and or, from the Origin group and stuff like that. But, 
No, if, if anybody does need anything, Origin, I can get it for you. If you want to come to me, I can give you any tips or any uh, advice. So. And have you tried so that, new, that new wraparound, the Rift, Rift where they did the different cuts and stuff? Yeah, well, I have the prototype. I haven't really actually. I Was actually there a got significant difference it. in how it felt? It did feel better. It did feel different. Um, I haven't tried it out rolling or anything. I've I've been hurt since I got it, but. Uh, but you stared at yourself in the mirror like, ooh. <laughs> people, I, yeah, people I trust say they like it. So. Is it is it like uh, a tighter? Is it like? Um, it's just I don't different. know. Like a, it's hard. It's hard to explain. Uh, it's not like a um, like a narrow fit, like button down or something. Like, you know how they have standard? Or, yeah, or, yeah. It's not, or slim fit, that's what I'm thinking. I don't think so, and it, all, it really depends. It just it just fits better in the different, like, positions. It's not it's not like a baggy, just uh, sheet that you're putting on. Yeah. It does, it is a little bit fitted, but um, overall, I don't think it's, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, Tommy, it's been an absolute pleasure. I uh, Don't be a stranger. I, ho- I hope we uh, see you many times in the future. Thanks for having me on. It was awesome.